0: This is Jan Cox, talk number 2,543, recorded June 26th, 2000. In my attempt to continue to talk about that which you can't talk about, and I know I've said that before, but, and there's several ways that you can approach this, but to refresh your, to fluff up your memory, uh, for the last few nights, and I'm still in that same, in that same general area, using that same general model, that is, that to live an ordinary life, to be accepted and to accept yourself as being fairly routine and sane, you must believe that you have some control over your life. And then to specifically awaken, you must also believe that you have some control over your life. But I submit to you that to believe you have some control of your life is the exemplary example of being asleep. That's about as strong as you can put it, and I assume that you people, I want you to take it as being sort of metaphorical. Because also the story I made up of the head of a a monk or a father telling his son that he told him everything he knew that would help him to attain the goal except one thing. And then when the kids started to protest that, the father said, no, no, you no, know, don't concern yourself because... I can't even say it to myself. If it's of any interest to you, that is not a joke. There's one thing that I know that I have never thought in words to myself. I assume you know how to do it. In other words, I know what it is that I would say if I put together this sentence. It'd go, blah, 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 blah. And yet I have never said it to myself. So in that sense, I have never actually thought the sentence. And I don't ever plan to. Because the other night, Terry and I were talking as we were riding around several things. And I was mentioning this again to him. And I thought, I mentioned that, well, maybe if you were dying, you'd go ahead and say it. But what if they told you a doctor was staying there or somebody you'd been shot or your throat cut? And they said, well, you know, you better make peace with God like most people do. And you thought, you know, I'm not going to waste my time with that, my final breath. You think, well, here it is. I'll go ahead and I'll say it to myself. You say it to yourself, and then you by God you revive. <laughs> then you go have to live another forty or fifty years having said it and ruined your whole life. I don't know why used to call it except ruin your whole life. That's not it. But. You know, I have not said anything. I hadn't said that it's true or false. Because it's not true or false whether you exercise some control over your life. But something else, I was still looking for a kind of example or some other way to talk about it. And the subject, since it's very popular, struck me that would be a perfect, could be perfectly used with this if you can follow it. It has to do with being an expert in something. And rather than just talk uh, theoretically, the area of ecology struck me. It's a grand example because uh, in its, the fullest sense, the whole web, the whole network of life. If you were to grasp the full understanding of the network of life, It would be without any thought. Which is not much you can say after that to people who have no experience in it. And so here it is from the other view. A person who becomes an expert in ecology. A person who is interesting. Who can talk. Who can weave together many aspects. Maybe some that you never thought about. You might be fairly well-read yourself in the area. And here it is, this person, through their own reflection, their own study, can put it together, can verbally present models wherein the interconnectedness of it all might be unusually striking, entertaining, captivating. But does anybody understand that assuming which it could be done. It has been done. But assuming that some person could just look, in a sense, that is, think about the web of life. Let's just call it that so I can get a short phrase. If somebody could grasp that and see it for what it is, you would be in an awakened state. You would be enlightened. You would be clear-headed you would see it and have no thought about it. Then the point is, from the other view, the more you know on a subject, I've got to talk as though it is a gradual process and relative, and it's not, but here it goes. The more you know on a subject, the less you grasp what it is. Uh, For those of you that notice, I have tried to say this since I've known you people over the last... Two decades, maybe I've tried to say this, God knows how many times. It's the full, or it's the attempted full telling of what having achieved the goal is. Because if you grasp, then you're going to have to figure out what it means. I know what it means. I know what I mean. And there's no word for it because me talking about it what so I'm about to get to, me talking about this denies its full comprehension that you have to undo what you hear me say. And since you have to ignore it after you've heard it. Let's put it this way, let's say that there was someone who was struggling to awaken and one day they had that great anomalistic experience that went on and let's say that one of their areas, let's say that they were trained as an ecologist, that that was their profession, and yet they had been struggling to do this. And then the, their first time, the state hits them, and I think it would be a safe assumption that somewhere within that, those hours in which the state seems to persist with most people the first time at least for 6, 8, 10, 12 hours until you pass out. To sleep. I would think that surely, if that had been his profession, that sooner or later, so to speak, his mind would have drifted over to ecology. And as long as he was in that state called being awake or in Satori, I'm just going to put it bluntly in words as best I can. For the first time in his life, let's say it's the the idea of a college who came to him after he'd had two or three hours of just this unique bliss and possum grinning of realizing what life's about for the first time in his life. Then I would think that sometime during that period, the idea of the web of life would have come to him, his whole field. And in just one instant, just as soon as he thought about it, He would understand everything that can be understood about the web of life. Since you understand life, that's just a subsection of it, mentally, verbally, staked out. But the man would look, and for the first time, but he would just fully, it's like in one big gulf, you just look at it, and he'd just go, ah! Now, if your experience is not sufficient for you to follow this, uh, as always, I can say, you're, you're not going to do yourself any harm to just accept what I say. That that is the way it would be. And then let's go forward a day later. The man finally has gone to sleep, in bed, gotten up, and the state is, for all intents and purposes, gone. He starts then again thinking... Let's say maybe he's a teacher in ecology and he has to go to class the next day. But at any rate, dad or he's writing a paper, he goes back and he's thinking now. The first thought he has, his understanding of the web of life or of ecology is gone. It's gone. And still, remember, I am agreeing. I'm saying in my example that the man is a world-class expert. He could be the world's leading authority. He could know more facts, more statistics, have done more personal research, and yet as soon as he is back now having one thought about the web of life, because that's not what caused it. He's already lost the state, You understand, but i got to put it some way. His grasp of it, this... Taking in the thing as a whole is gone. And what I was trying to say while I go, I got to say it again whether anybody gets or not. It's not relative. You either got it or you don't. But yet the funny part, the curious part that can be useful if you begin to look at it, is that the, the more expertise you have in the subject, the further away from a full grasp of it you are. By the way, this is not true. But verbally, it's it's useful for me to put it to you this way. That is, the more expertise the man has, the more facts he knows about the web of life, the further away he is from a full comprehension of it. To me, it's the funniest picture. It's the most delightful picture that I have ever seen throughout all this, and it always has been. Not just this example, of course, but... An infinite number of examples. The whole point being when I said I was going to try to take it away from just the theoretical, the theoretical is simply what I've said and put in all kinds of stories almost weekly, is that the more you know, the less you're awake. Which just sounds like some kind of throwaway fortune cookie line, but it's the truth. And when you see it, it's just amazing. It's titillating. It's funny. Because you got to, by then, simultaneously, you understand what the mind's all about. All right, What I've been trying to talk about, that uh, you got to believe you have some control over life to be sane, to be ordinary. And you've got to believe that to be asleep. And you've got to believe that to try and awake from sleep. But until you see what it is, you'll stay asleep. That can't be talked about. And here I am trying. To try and talk about to try and talk about any of this the lies, or I can't present a full comprehension. There's no way it can be done. That anybody that tells you that they are, and if they believe, and somebody saying you'll hear is the full thing about what it is to be asleep and awake. And I think it's a safe guess that almost every person on this planet right now that would be saying that or writing that somewhere, they believe it. But anyone who says that and doesn't know better, is not a lot better off than the people listening to them. But it's almost impossible I can see it for such people to refrain from saying it, to refrain from believing it. Because if they're a little more aware of what life's about, especially if they've ever had an experience or two of so-called satori, if they've ever had that, and it's very easy. I'm surprised anybody gets over it it's very easy to think, well, this is it. I now understand it all. And then you got to face the fact that after you take a good night's sleep, the state's gone. But my God, if you've been working 10 or 12, 20 years for it and you had it just because it's gone, you're not going to forget it. You're not going to forget that you had it. And so I'm surprised that anybody actually gets over it. And I mean, the sense. It almost drives them crazy that they begin to believe all kinds of idiotic things, such as, I'm still in that state when they're not. But that's the obvious, that's the human thing to want to do. To believe, well, I may not be in that same emotional state, I'm more used to it now, but at least I'm smarter than all the people I know. I have seen that which they hadn't seen. And so it's expected that they present themselves as being, well, I'm awake. I've been there, I'm now awake, and you people aren't. And I can't explain it to you totally. And they believe it themselves. They're not much better off than the people they're supposedly teaching. Because you can't do it. And if you think you can, it's just a sign that you don't really know much of anything. That whatever experience you've had has been squandered. Because you cannot describe it. I cannot describe it to myself. Which is sort of what I meant, that thing I'm talking about, about whether you have any control over your life, it's right in that area is the thing that I won't, I'm not ever going to say it. So I'm sure so I'm not going to say it to you or it'd be, you know, it'd ruin it for me. I can't stuff up my ears and think, well, I'll just, I'll just say it to them because maybe it'll help them. I wanted to because I thought, well, maybe it would, but see, I can't do it. I didn't even thought about writing it and passing it around. <laughs> that would almost work. I decided I didn't want to take the chance that if I actually wrote it, it might be, and then it would be too late if I wrote it and went, ah! That was the same as saying it. If you say anything about this, you are far from the full comprehension of it. Anything you say about it. So, having said that, I couldn't resist, over the weekend, some things hit me after I tried to talk some about this, the things that go on in ordinary life that people are aware of, that all of you are aware of, and that humanity does, and see so if you, you know how concerned I am, I always give a long preface like, well, here's what you ought to get out of it, <laughs> come on. How about, we all know, that in all religions, right in the heart of it, the fundamentalist part, the most commonly pursued part of every religion on this planet, has, as part of its colloquial canons, part of its practice, an attitude that's expressed in these kind of words. Let me take the Christian, since most of us have been exposed to Christianity initially. This attitude that someone says, or even a whole organization, but it's common to hear people say, that what I want to do is turn my life over to God or to Jesus. There have been long books written, whole treatises by people who are monks, nuns, about how they strove to do it through meditation, through fasting, through abstinence, uh, through all kinds of things. But even people out in the everyday world leading ordinary lives, uh, they will say to each other, or they may stand in church and say it, or the preacher, the minister, a rabbi may say to people, what we should be doing is not living for ourselves, not living that selfish, carnal life that we all know has no real great payoff. We should live, we should turn our lives over to God. We should just try and do, and of course I said when you get into so-called mysticism, the monks and the nuns that really went after that, they would even say that the point of meditation, of constant prayer, was to open up your heart in such a way that God would finally come in and take over. So it was a great relief that rather than you continually battling the forces of evil, your carnal spirit, Your fleshy part was always wanting to engage in Epicureanism and sex. The sins of the flesh. And that you were constantly fighting against it. That if you could in some way induce God or pay enough price, that God would come into your life, come into your heart, and take over. And then it was no longer a struggle. That you would naturally live according to God's will. Now, from a very valid intellectual view, especially for someone who has some understanding about the nature of the mind, such as people like would be involved with this, there is a view from which that it's just easy to dismiss that. It's just absolute nonsense. Just almost beyond comprehension. Well, but think about it for a second in light of what I've been talking about. The belief that it's possible. The claim that they're struggling to arrange it for God himself, Jehovah, Vishnu, Allah, to come into your heart and take control of your life and that you give up your selfish will and you submit to God's will. Which, in fact, was supposedly the Arab, Arabic definition of Islam, submission to God. And the Sufis, the, from a crude sense, the Islamic mystics, a shortcut version or a description of what their intent was, their approach was: we attempt to submit to the Beloved, to submit to Allah, live out how He would have us live. Or rather than just say, "Well, you know, those people are being childish; they don't understand the mind at all. They don't know. They don't realize what they're doing." Okay, okay, okay. But think about it. They don't normally. You don't find religious people. As I point out, you don't even find mystics. People just won't deal with this. People never talk about it. That is, do we have some control over our life? A few philosophers have always wanted to play around like, do we have free will? In case you not want to waste your time, you can go back and find a dictionary or an encyclopedia of Western or worldwide philosophy and look under will, or freedom of will, and it is a, it's sparse pickings, because once they go, well, I decide we do, as opposed to uh, John Locke who says we don't, John Locke says, well, as opposed to Mr. Berkeley, Bishop Berkeley, I say we do, and that's about it, go, do, don't, do, don't, (laughs) then even they get tired of it, like, well, where do we go from here, But, even after I've said people do not deal with it, even mystics. And I say it's at the heart of everything. The whole, I say that the whole description of being asleep is not dealing with that question. So even though I say that even us mystics, historically, have never dealt with the question, consider it in light of how common it is just ordinary religious, down-home people all across the world, all across the calendar of humanity, saying that they wish they could turn their life over to God. I wish I could just give it to Jesus, give it to Allah, give it to Buddha, and that I wouldn't have to worry. Hmm? Hmm? And as good or better than that is the idea of karma tied to reoccurring lives. That whatever aspect of my life now I'm having trouble with, that I have a horrible temper, I seem to have a propensity for, for addiction to drugs or to alcohol or I'm an evil person. I'm a greedy person then the idea that this is now a payoff, a result of previous actions, and we all heard about it, but now in light of what I'm saying that people do not, I claim that people do not consider whether they have any control over their life or not. Am I right? Do you see any connection between the idea of karma? In the sense of it being, at least in part, that it can be Simply a result of a previous life and that now you're boxed in you're limited in some of your choices there's certain influences working on you over which you have no control and about which you have no comprehension I don't know why I'm like this I've taken psychological tests I've gone to a psychiatrist Uh, I grew up in a perfect childhood I didn't have any brothers and sisters nobody mistreated me I had it made Why am I so angry? I can't control it. No matter what I promise I'll do, I cannot change a certain aspect of me. Even though people do not discuss the question, in the sense I put it to you, that is, do we actually have any control over our life? Do you see what I'm pointing out? This idea of people wanting God to take over their life or Buddha to take control of their life and direct their every action and thought and word, and the idea of karma tied to reoccurring lives, do you see that even though people may not think about the question in the terms I put it, they're looking, dare I say it, for some relief that is tied to the question, which is what the idea of, I wish I could get God to take over my life. That I could submit to his will rather than trying to run with my own will. I always like that one. They don't hear it. And they can explain it. They say, well, my own will gets me in trouble. Because if I if just left to my own devices, I've tried to stop. I'll cheat on my wife on the weekend. I'll get drunk. And I'll swear on Monday that I won't do it again. They'll come Friday, and I'll go out with the guys, and I'll start drinking. I'll come home late Friday, and I'll slap my, my wife. I can't trust my will. But if I could live in such a way, or maybe his wife tells him. Some of his friends tell him, what you should do is go back to church. Join our church. Study with our teacher, Study the Bible. Turn your life over to God, and once you become a full-fledged Christian or Jew or whatever, then God... Will come in to your soul and he'll override your old bullheaded, unprofitable will and his will, his divine will. God's will, which is always profitable, God's will is not to mistreat you, make you get drunk and lose your job, wreck your car, and hurt yourself. So if God comes in and takes over, think what a beautiful life you'll lead. Think about the human mind. Of course, life made us do it. But life made the human mind conceive of that and not put it into the question as I say it deserves to be in the form that it deserves to be. And so even though they do not really talk directly and think directly on the question of do we have any control over our lives, it's like they bypass that. Or if you would like to look at it this way, I can also... To me, see it in this manner, they are selective on a very personal level. That if, in fact, if you ask a person, do you have any control over your life? They'd say, yeah. And they go, and if I said, well, if I start off, let me redo it. If I asked somebody, I said, do you believe, would you believe if I told you that my opinion is that we have no control, that something else controls each and every person's life? And they'd go, no. If they were sane, they would go, no, I do not believe that. And if I said, well, how about this? Do you believe that in probably everyone's life, something about every individual personality on this planet, that there is something about their life or about themselves that is out of their control? Then I would submit that most people would say, well, probably. And if I said, well, how about in your case? And I bet most people would say, well, yeah. And so if we find out that they were an alcoholic or given, given to violent outrages. And if I said, well, I happen to know something about your life and you know, you don't just have a bad temper. You've been fired from five jobs over the last three years for your temper. You've gone through five marriages and all, all five of your ex wives sued you for divorce on the basis of physical abuse. And the person goes, yeah, you're right. And I said, well, if we have control over our lives, he'd go, well, that's the only thing. That's the only aspect of my life. And again, if he was sane and ordinary in the sane and ordinary sense, most people will take responsibility, kind of vaguely, but they'll take some, I shouldn't say that, put it another way, they will exclude the responsibility, even if they only vaguely have some reason. They go, well, maybe it was the way in my childhood but they would agree there is some part of my life that is not under my control. My temper. I'm working on it. I'm trying to do better. I'm not as bad as I used to be. I seek counseling every time I get arrested. <laughs> but they they would say, yeah, that is sort of out of my control. But then again, if you'd like to notice this, if you really pushed it, to most of the people on this planet now, there might be a few people in real backward, uncivilized or less civilized areas, but in most parts of this planet, if you really pushed it with someone who had already admitted they had a temper, they continually would get out of control momentarily enough to get them to make them engage in costly activity behavior. And if I say, "Well, do you believe it's some sort of force that is completely outside of your control?" They'd say, no, no, I can't say that. I'm, I'm not exactly sure why I'm this way. But no, I can't say this completely beyond my control because I do worry about it, I do think about it, and I have made some improvements, they would say. People look, in a sense, they look for a solution to a problem But it's a problem that they won't enunciate, which is what the idea of I wish I could turn, that God would come in and take over my life, that Buddha would come into my mind or soul and direct me, or I wish I could work out this bad karma. I hope this is the last time that my next life I'm not saddled with this kind of addictive personality or with this kind of uh, uncontrollable temper. I hope that I finally have lived it out, worked it out, paid off the debt. So people are looking for a solution, or at least relief from situations, from a problem that they will not directly enunciate, even to themselves. And the problem being, as I said, in the question, do you or do you not have some control over your life? Of course, even I'm Being genteel about it, because the question should be, do you have any? Don't put it that way. Okay, some control. I wrote something Friday, and when I read it, the a news item. Several of you had a very positive and joyful reaction to it. I'm going to repeat it and ask you, what do you think would happen if I had a audience of general people that were, thought they were interested in this idea of enlightenment. And I'd just been talking like an introductory. But, but anyway, well, in fact, you could include any audience if you'd like to. What would be their reaction to this story? Or this news item? This fact? I said that if a prisoner knows for absolute certain that tomorrow he will be shot, and there is nothing, no way, no how, no possibility of him affecting it, avoiding it whatsoever. It's an absolute certainty, and he knows it. He will be shot tomorrow. And I said there's a certain benefit because you could then totally relax and fully, unconditionally enjoy today. If the audience was fairly sophisticated, wouldn't you assume that they would take it as a metaphor for something? What if I didn't mean it as a metaphor? All right. What if I meant it as a hybrid? It's half a metaphor, and then you get toward another part of the sentence, and then it turns into a metaphor. And then it turns back. No reason I said that was because the part about being shot tomorrow, I guess I as I was staying here doing it, I thought I should have written it in a different way because I didn't actually mean death. It's not the idea that, well, we're all going to die, so what the hell does it matter what we do anyway? It's not that. So the death part, I meant, yeah, I can beat it. Here we go. Here we go. The Grand Revised Edition. A prisoner who is given life, and he knows through whatever, I'm not going to drag it out forever, but it has been well proven to him. He accepts the fact that there is no way, no how, that he is ever going to get out of that prison. There's going to be no parole. There's going to be no pardon. He will never get a good time off. He is there forever. He could then relax. That's a little better. That's my opinion. But some of these things say, I can't tell you what I'm really trying to tell you. What would drive a man crazy? Do I have to hint in the preface beforehand that I'm now specifically talking about trying to achieve enlightenment? What would drive a prisoner crazy? Let's say a judge says, well, life in prison. Next, he bangs the gavel and they take you away. Through whatever methods, through gossip there in the jail once you get there in the prison, through things written on the wall, you immediately get the impression, And you immediately adopt it as being reasonable, possible, that it's very possible to get out. (laughs) It's possible to escape. It's possible to get some outside, some law students in your case. It's possible that you can get a new trial. It's possible that your family, your friends can petition the governor that he may finally offer you a pardon, it's possible that your friends can go rob a couple of banks or have enough money and bribe the governor. It's possible that the governor, through a fit of Tourette's Syndrome, or got drunk one weekend, he could just pardon everybody. There could be a bank holiday for prisoners. But the thing is, if you were in there after you had been given life, and you immediately believed and believed you had reason to. But even if you just begin to believe it for no reason. But as long as you believe there's a possibility of getting out. What could be of greater torment? Alright, I put it to you another way. What if God or Buddha or Jehovah or Vishnu or somebody. What if God, even you damn heathens amongst you here. And you know who you are. You agnosticrostics. (laughs) You infidels. What if God is already taking over your spirit and he is directing your life? (laughs) Based upon my present model in my head, knowing what I understand, I know what I'm saying, it won't do you any good to go, well, I've never gone to church. I don't believe in that shit. Yeah, but look at it this way. If he decided to come into your little... Sp- he looked at you and just said, Well, there's a little spirit or a little heart to come into. He probably needs it worse than most people. Even if you don't believe in all this, what if the- what if he is there and he decided to come into your heart? How are you going to stop him? What if he's in your little heart now and guiding your life? No, maybe it's an experiment. Maybe God's charitable. Maybe of all the people that claimed, I wish God would come in and take over and control my life, maybe every now and then He picks out somebody that never asked. Like unexpected charity. Does anybody know I'm not being funny? <laughs> Does anybody know what I'm saying? Does anybody really think that you've changed? I always hesitate at least a few seconds, if not a few minutes before I ever ask you that. Does anybody really believe that you've changed? Now, you've got to be good enough to be able to take into consideration age. If I was talking to people 20 or 30 years old, I wouldn't even say this. But since I'm no longer 20 or 30 years old, I now understand from experience that most people would never take that into account. So you've got to be able to factor that in and then dismiss it. Then my question is, of course, you can answer this, you're awake. There is no answer, but if you can answer it, and that is, have you actually changed since you started this? Even those of you that have had your major Several Satori experiences and all the related minor ones. Even with all of that, even with understanding damn near everything that there is to understand, I ask you, have you really changed? Because the funny part is, is anybody who immediately thinks, well, yeah, some, well, I've dismissed them. If you did it, I'm sorry, at least at this moment, you are snoozeville. But then again, if anybody goes, I don't think so, they're not much better off. It's usually, though, the reason I picked on those who say, Well, certainly. It's those who would answer in the affirmative. They speak up more quickly. That's the second funniest thing, maybe, to me in the universe that I've ever seen. It's just the question. I still remember how I finally put it on me. (coughs) have I actually changed that was almost the funniest thing after all these years looking back I still can't say I've ever said anything funnier to myself or seen anything funnier have I actually changed which you know the question seems so ridiculous no that's not the ridiculous part not the question I wrote up some worse stuff for next time. I was trying to soften you up one more time. Why? Even how? But why would a person try to change if they didn't believe that they had some control over their life? The question seems worthy of no response, doesn't it? Not so. That is a question among questions. And anything you think about the question is wrong. Anything you think about the question just keeps you from a full comprehension of the question. You're becoming an expert. And you're further and further away from just being able to swallow the whole thing at one gulp. Do I have any control over my life? That's the question. As soon as you say it, you got to drop it. You got to quit saying it. You got to remember the question and not say it. You got to remember the question, not say the question. And of course, do not tolerate even the beginning of an answer coming into your entire universe. Stop it. As soon as it peeks over the threshold of reality. Well, that's your story for the night, and I know you're sticking to it. I can tell. That concludes this talk. Be sure to visit us at JanCox.com where you can search through 3,000 talks for topics of interest or just leave us a message.